Five-hour energy is energy on the go. Well, what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then five-hour energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell-bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. Five-hour energy. Energy for hunkering down. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Let's get a big thumbs up. Get ready to rock and roll today. Let's have some fun. 400 laps. I got you guys there. Have a great day. 10 4. Tonight, we'll make it happen. We know what we got to do. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Ron Hornaday, winners of five consecutive races. Hello, I'm Ken Squire, and today here at Daytona Beach, the greatest stock car race in the world, the Daytona 5. Ray Everham, now that's the way to wrap up a championship. This team is a great team, and that kid is a great driver. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live. Mike Bagley and the MRN crew here with you, hoping that you're staying warm in this very cold winter of 2017-2018. Well, we're going to warm you up over the course of the next 60 minutes as we honor the 2018 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Several men going to be inducted this Friday night. NASCAR pioneer Red Byron. You've got legendary broadcaster Ken Squire. Car owner and engine builder Robert Yates, champion crew chief and owner Ray Evernham, and Camping World Truck Series champion Ron Hornaday Jr. will all be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame on Friday night. Hornaday, along with Evernham and Squire, will join us on today's show to talk about their Hall of Fame careers. But to get us started this week, we honor our first NASCAR champion, Red Byron. Robert Red Byron was a war hero who just happened to be one of the greatest stock car racing talents of his era. A tail gunner on a bomber aircraft, Red served for the United States Army in World War II while putting his racing career on pause in the mid-40s. Near the end of the war, Red's B-24 came under fire from a Japanese invasion. A piece of shrapnel shattered his left leg, but that didn't stop him from racing when he returned home. As Kyle Petty describes, Byron had a will to race building a special stirrup to hold his bad leg on the pedal of his race car. You do that because you love to drive, not because, hey, I'm going to get in this car and go fast. You want to be a race car driver. And that, to me, should be that one kernel of, of what every driver that gets in a car should have, is I don't care. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what it is. Just bolt me in here. I'm going to go drive it. In 1946, Byron partnered with one of the finest stock car mechanics in the country, Red Vogt, and team owner and businessman Raymond Parks. The three formed one of NASCAR's first teams. In 1947, the trio won NASCAR's first modified championship, and in 1948 won the first modified race on the sands of Daytona Beach, Florida. Byron was the first champion in Bill France's strictly stock division, now known as the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, in 1949, winning two of the eight races. As NASCAR's vice chairman Mike Helton describes, there will never be another first champion. There's always going to be our first. Uh, the sport hopefully never has the last. They have the current one. Uh, but there's always going to be the, the first one. And, and Raymond getting in last year, I think, just teed and paved the way for Red to get in this year. A racing pioneer, Byron helped NASCAR grow from its infancy when it needed a spokesperson. And as NASCAR Hall of Fame classmate Ken Squire describes, Red was one of the first drivers that gave the sport its identity. They took terrible risk. But risk was a part of this nation from the outset that there were always guys that weren't gonna stay home, play baseball and mow the lawn. Well, they wanted something more. And they were willing to pay the price, whatever it was. And Red Byron, with his leg shot off, Japanese had tried to invade Alaska. And he put it together and convinced people that he could do the job. And my, didn't he do it well. The Motor Racing Network salutes 2018 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee, Red Byron. This Friday night, several members of Red Byron's family will be there to accept his induction. A well-deserving 
induction at that. Coming up on NASCAR Live, Ray Everham will be here, and later, Ron Hornaday Jr. will join us. The thought of winter coming can be chilling. Knee-deep snow, face-numbing winds, frozen fingers, temperatures below zero, and yet, without a Duralast car battery, it could be even worse. That's why Duralast batteries are tested to perform in harsh conditions. So even if it's 40 below zero, your car can start up like it's 72 and sunny. Duralast, proven tough and only at AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone, AutoZone. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Oh, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay, and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In case you missed it, folks, over the weekend, motorsports lost a great one. Dan Gurney passed away. He contributed to several forms of motorsports and... He also contributed to NASCAR as well. Be sure to go to MRN.com to hear and see the life of Dan Gurney. Ray Aaronham is in studio, and he'll join us next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. This is NASCAR Live. I honestly never in the world could have imagined anything uh, like this career has turned out. One of NASCAR's most successful crew chiefs, Ray Evernham, is an innovator whose creativity and competitive drive helped propel racing into the new millennium. Closing rapidly, by far he has the strongest car in the field. Originally a modified racer from New Jersey, Ray was forced to hang up his driver's helmet after a bad crash and was paired with rising NASCAR sensation Jeff Gordon in 1992. Gordon now up alongside for the lead. As Gordon's crew chief, Evernham and the 24 team dominated. NASCAR's top series through the 1990s, winning 47 races and three championships. Jeff Gordon comes to the stripe and clinches the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship for 1998 in the finest style possible. He wins the AC Delco 400 by three car lengths over Dale Jarrett. And on pit road, it's a dual celebration, the win and the championship. As crew chief, Ray was a mechanical master. That car Jeff Gordon is driving is a new developmental chassis for Hendrick Motorsports. Regularly working in the gray areas of the NASCAR rulebook. And he initiated a pit stop revolution. The Rainbow Warriors swing around to the left side. Analyzing videotape to help shave nearly five seconds off the average stop. And I think it's just like the Olympics. You know, every year somebody runs faster, jumps higher, does something. And that bec- that's because of the human element, uh, the, the training or the ability of, of the, the, the human body to do things that we couldn't do 20 years ago. Four in a row for the Rainbow Warriors. They're headed to victory lane. In 2001, Evernham brought Dodge back to NASCAR as owner of Evernham Motorsports, a two-car team with drivers Casey Atwood and Bill Elliott. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville is back, winning the first race ever for Ray Evernham Motorsports. I, I would love to have accomplished winning a championship with uh, uh, as an owner, but I, I really feel good about what we did accomplish. We built that whole Dodge program in the less than 500 days. Uh, we, we brought Bill Elliott back to Victory Lane. REM won 13 times before Evernham sold to Richard Petty Enterprises in 2009 and turned his focus to ESPN's coverage of racing. When people talk to me about where I've ended up, where I started, you honestly can't imagine those things, right? If I had written a script where I wanted to go and the things I would have done, it would never have been as good as this ride. The Motor Racing Network salutes 2018 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Ray Evernham. And NASCAR Hall of Famer Ray Evernham is with us now on NASCAR Live. Boy, I tell you what, NASCAR Hall of Famer, that's got to have a that's got to have a good little ring to it there, doesn't it, Ray? Mike, uh, it really does. I I still can't even believe you're talking to me uh, when you say that. It's um as I said, the it, it's just been a fire hose of emotion. So when I hear that, it it still hasn't registered. We talked before we started the interview about the emotions of this matter change from day to day. What are the emotions you've experienced and what causes those changes? What's been going through your mind? Well, I think every day something, you bump into somebody else or you, you know, you see things that, that, um, that you didn't see before. And, you know, the fact that we lost 
Dan Gurney, who was a huge, huge mentor uh, to me, uh, made me think about a lot of uh, a lot of different things. You know, in our sport, and you know, connecting to the Wood Brothers and and people like that, and you think. Wow, you know, not only do I get the opportunity to know and see those people, but now my name is mentioned uh, when they talk about the NASCAR Hall of Fame and mention Leonard Wood and and people like that. And you know, every day you think about something that someone did for you or with you to help you get here, and it's a uh, it's not a feeling of you want to beat your chest and say, oh, I'm so great we accomplished this and won this. It's It makes you very humble because, you know, without each and every one of those people, you, you wouldn't have made it. Which brings me to my next question. You no doubt were the crew chief of the 90s. I mean, you won Daytona 500s, Brickyard 400s, four Southern 500s in a row, the Coca-Cola 600, the All-Star Race, the Clash, the Winston Million. You've got a lot of trophies, and they're pretty high-profile trophies. When you won those, does any one now stick out more than the other? I mean, you got a lot of career accolades, but of what I just mentioned, any of those stick out more than the other? The, the, there is one, and it is hard to pick one, but the one that stands out is the 97 uh, Southern 500 when we won the Winston Million. And, and that day was a team day, uh, a day that really, I, I think, showed what the Rainbow Warriors and Jeff Gordon were were really about because we did not have the best car. I remember going and testing and coming home and cutting a snout right off the car and put a new snout in front suspension, took it back, and it still was just okay. It wasn't good enough to win the race. And we worked on the car and worked on the car. And during the race, you know, Jeff hit the wall several times, and we made, I think, 16 different pit stops. We were about out of uh, – uh, of nitrogen, and we were definitely out of tires. I think we went and stole some tires from the five car guys, uh, and just you know, sway bars unhooked, rehooked, spring rubbers in, out, and just kept hammering. Jeff was sick and wore out in the car, and it was hot, and and you know, somehow towards the end through pit strategy, and Jeff really standing up in the seat, and the guys making the stops, and boom, you know, we're leading the thing with two to go, and here comes Jeff Burton like out of nowhere, and just. It catches us and and Jeff Gordon does a driving job of his life and, and, and blocks Jeff Burton from from winning and and we go on and win we win uh, the race and a million dollar bonus with a car that not only was about a fifth place car but it, it is just totaled you know the front clip was bent the rear clip was bent the door bars were bent and I look at that and thought that was a day that that we punched way above our weight that was truly a day that that as a team we won that race. More coming up with Ray Evernham next. The Country 500 Music Festival is back at Daytona International Speedway. How do you like me? With Toby Keith, Chris Stapleton, Dirk Bentley, Billy Currington, and so much more. Country 500 Memorial Day weekend. May 25th, 26th, and 27th. For tickets and information, visit country500.com. Sponsored in part by Budweiser. MRN.com, your online destination for all things NASCAR. Looking for the latest NASCAR news? MRN.com. NASCAR stats for fantasy racing? MRN.com. Opinion pieces from award-winning motorsports writers? MRN.com. Race schedule, series standings, and photos? MRN.com. Live race streaming and audio and video podcasts that you can't miss? MRN.com. Stay up to date with all things NASCAR. MRN.com. Motor Racing Network has coverage of the NASCAR Hall of Fame induction ceremony Friday night starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Be sure to tune in and check us out. We've got more with Ray Evernham next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We continue with NASCAR Hall of Famer Ray Evernham, who just walked us through the 1997 Southern 500 at Darlington, picking up the Winston Million. Ray, you talk about that day where you basically made something out of a little, but overall in your career, you've made a lot out of a lot. As an owner, 13 wins uh, in Cup, five wins in the Xfinity Series. You got an Arco win to your credit, but crew chiefing, 47 wins, three poles, three titles, and you were able to give Hendrick Motorsports its first title back in 1995. How special was that for you to be able to do that for Rick? 
is really special because, you know, when Jeff and I looked at that place, I remember going, Jeff said, hey, look, Mr. Hendricks trying to hire me. I want you to go look and see what it's like over there because, you know, we, we'd heard that they had a lot of things, but they we couldn't understand why they weren't winning. And when I went over there and looked around, it was amazing. And after meeting with Mr. Hendrick, and I thought, this guy, is he's, he's phenomenal. He's got everything he needs. They're, I just don't think they're using it right. And if they'll let us do what we want, we can, we can man, we can win a lot of races over there. So it, it was great to be able to go over there, and we had the support always of, of Rick Hendrick. But we did a lot of unorthodox things that some other owners would not have probably let us do. And uh, to bring him the first championship and, and to help lay the groundwork for, for I, I think, several more really means a lot because, uh, you know, I, you know when, when you've got a guy like Rick Hendrick that's putting in as much as he had, it's always fun to win for a guy like that. You talked about doing some unorthodox things. What was rolling around in your mind back then? I mean, how how far out on the branch were you willing to go to be different than other people to try to get the best outcome possible? Well, back then, you know, the cars were built a little bit different. That you know, to me, they they were pretty heavy. They they um, didn't worry a lot about the center of gravity height, uh, about things like unsprung weight. We went after those things really hard. And I remember, I remember getting a good talking to by some other experienced crew chiefs saying, boy, well, you ain't, you ain't run one that modifies like you run up <laughs> north there. So, uh, but we, uh, we used a little bit of modified, uh, modified technology coming in and out uh, of some of the things that we did. And one of the other things that we did, I remember, um, what was the the pit crew thing? I remember Mr. Hendrick came in one day and and Andy Papathanasiu, who was our pit crew coach, had guys carrying themselves on their back, running through the fields, doing wind sprints. And Mr. Hendrick said, "What, Ray? What 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 are you doing here?" <laughs> and we explained to him, you know, what we were doing and and how we had hired this uh, trainer to train the guys like athletes, and we were going to just use athletes. And and I remember uh, again, there were other people there at Hendrick that were kind of dead set against us. Uh, spending money on, on, on things like that. But Mr. Hendricks stood behind us and, and, and let us do it. So he let me build the cars the way I wanted, and, and he let me run the pit crew the way I wanted. And, and uh, honestly, I, I'm going to tell you, I know I made him nervous with some of the way I called uh, the, the races, but he never challenged me uh, up on the box and said, no, we're going to do this. You know, you bring up how you were conditioning the pit crew back in the day. Now we take for granted that we hear teams going into colleges and they're recruiting athletes, the NCAA, they're recruiting this and that. Was what you did the start of what we see today when you basically started putting through the crew guys through uh, through through physical paces, athletic paces back at the race shop? I think it was the beginning of it. You know, you've got to go to when you look at the importance of the pit stop and the people that really laid the groundwork for uh, how a pit stop choreography was supposed to work. That's the Wood Brothers. Right. So everybody, you know, it's not like I had a great idea. I just took an idea those guys had and and continued to try and improve it. And the biggest thing for me, we, we worked hard. You know, there wasn't a lot of us. There, there was we worked hard in the shop. And I thought, how can I expect these guys to do a really good pit stop on Sunday when they've got no time to practice because we're working? They're going to be tired. And I thought, well, what if we bring in guys that we can you know that that are used to training and and aren't full time here and make uh you know make pit crew members out of them they don't have to know how to work on the car they just need to know how to change tires and and put gas and stuff like that in it and uh and we took that route and i think that did lay the groundwork for uh how far things have come today when actually you're out recruiting and and um again back then we we, we recruited guys out of out of colleges and and uh you know, former hockey players and, and you know, uh, AAA baseball players and things like that. So we, we, we probably did start it, but it was it was really neat. It was interesting sometimes because, you know, you'd bring a guy in and, and he'd, you know, he'd have plenty of trophies from playing football or baseball or something. He'd pick up a lug nut and go, is there a special way these go on? <laughs> <laughs> Chatting with NASCAR Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. We talked about the crew chiefing portion of your career, but – uh, as an owner, you're responsible for bringing Dodge back to NASCAR in 2001, and you racked up wins there as well. What was that first telephone call and that first outreach like when either you reached out to Dodge or they reached out to you to come back to NASCAR and they wanted you to be the man to spearhead it? How'd that conversation go? Well, it was a little bit different than that, believe it or not. They, they went after Jeff first, and then they wanted the both of us, and, and uh you know, they were pretty relentless for about a year and a half, and, and uh, they got a lot of no's um, from, from both of us. And then finally, you know, a, a, as things progressed, 
I started to think more about my future. You know, we did just come off the 98 season with 13 wins and winning the championship again and done some things. I thought, man, what more can we do? And I started to get interested in, you know, more of the technical side. You've known me for a long time, Mike, and you know I love to build cars and, and, and build things from the ground up. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, finally we got to the point to where what the Dodge people were talking about was making sense, uh, an opportunity for me to, to see if I could do something on my own. And I think at that time Jeff was uh, – Jeff, Jeff was changing a little bit too. You know, we uh, again. You talk about the Hall of Fame and whatnot. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that. He's he he still is like a kid brother to me. Always will be like. But when we started, he really was a kid. And you know, a, a, towards the end of '98, there, man, he's <laughs> he was the man in in NASCAR. So he was growing up a little bit different too. And I think that the the timing was just right. And finally. Uh, one night, uh, you know, I remember the the guy from Dodge saying, well, what's it going to take? And I wrote up just a crazy list of things thinking, okay, they'll finally leave me alone. And they came back and said, okay. And I said, okay, now what are you going to do? So, <laughs> so, so, um, so we, we went and did it. And it, it, it was a great, great experience. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life because Hendrick, Hendrick is my home and, and family there. But, uh, but, you know, every, Every once in a while in your life, you've you've got to take an opportunity to move on, and and the Dodge opportunity was very very good for me. Before we let you go, uh, the '90s with all your success, with all of Jeff's success, was punctuated with some pretty intense battles with Dale Earnhardt. What was your relationship like with Dale, and uh, what was the level of respect you had for him? Well, I was always a Dale Earnhardt fan. I worked with him um, through IROC, you know, and, and to me, when I look back on on our career, and I speak for the Rainbow Warriors, you know, the fact that we got to race head-to-head with Dale Earnhardt and, and win some championships and win some races, and he looked at us as, as at that time, his toughest competition is probably one of the greatest honors that, uh, that we could have because I, I look at him and think because uh, he was who he was, it drove me to be a, a better crew chief and made us work harder. So it, it was an honor to have been able to race Dale Earnhardt Sr. Well, it was an honor to watch you guys go toe-to-toe week in and week out. Many many a Sunday afternoon, even a Saturday night, punctuated with memories of that legendary rainbow number 24 and that black and silver number 3 racing for positions and more time than not victories on some of NASCAR's best racetracks we appreciate you joining us thanks for stopping by congratulations on the honor it is well deserved and i'm sure everybody will stand up and salute you and thank you for all that you gave this sport back in the 90s and even to this very day mike thank you very much for having me on and you still owe me a hot dog buddy (laughs) i'll pay up soon coming up we'll pay tribute to our next nascar hall of famer robert yates You're smart, got your own trucking business, making it happen. What if I told you there was a place online where you could connect with other smart owner operators just like you? It's an online community called Team Run Smart, where people share advice on truck maintenance, fuel savings, healthy habits on the road, and so much more, all to make your business more profitable. And it's all free. Visit TeamRunSmart.com today to check it out. You'll be glad you did. TeamRunSmart.com, brought to you by Freightliner Trucks. It's Rob Tanner, host of America's Tailgate Party, NASCAR USA. Join us every weekend as we get you set for NASCAR racing with two hours of the hottest hits in country music. The Motor Racing Network's Woody Kane is here with NASCAR News. And MRN pit reporter Steve Post stops by to talk a little racing. We'll have features and highlights you can't get anywhere else, so be here each weekend for NASCAR USA on the Motor Racing Network. We honor Robert Yates next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. This week, we're honoring the 2018 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Our next inductee is car owner and engine builder, Robert Yates. I pretty much raced to the fans and worked on the cars and worked on edges and that in itself is a wonderful life. Engine builder Robert Yates figured out the riddle of the restrictor plate at Talladega. Right, Robert Yates, the winning car owner here this afternoon. I just got to thank the good Lord for looking over us and taking care of this whole Robert Yates organization all winter. Jarrett is there, coming to the line. The winner of the 38th Daytona 500 is Dale Jarrett. We love our sport, and it's made me have the best job in, that was ever created. He's having a fourth unburden, got right up front. 
That's Robert Gates and a happy crew. Handshakes all around in the Hamlet Star Pit. It's going to Victory Lane with a group that works so much together is nothing like it. As far as Dale Jarrett, he is the 1999 NASCAR Winston Cup champion. When you have a guy that's the best in the business running it in the experience of Robert Yates, you know the good things are going to happen. 100,000 fans plus are on their feet as the three Fords come into the dogleg. Davey Allison leads. Here comes the move. Labonte took a look down to the inside. There was a lap car there. He won't be able to do it, and Davey Allison will win it. I can't say enough about the whole entire Robert Yates organization. Our first in name, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Robert Yates. Good come out and win championships. I'm like, okay, I wasn't born in NASCAR, but I think I've got a place here. With this, it says I got a permanent place here. Robert passed away last fall on October 2nd of liver cancer at the age of 74. On his behalf, his wife Carolyn, son Doug, and daughter Amy Yates Carrick will be there to accept his induction. Still to come on NASCAR Live, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion Ron Hornaday Jr. and later, legendary broadcaster Ken Squire. Take MRN on the go. The MRN app is available for download to your smartphone or tablet from the iTunes App Store or Google Play. Get the latest NASCAR news, schedules, standings, or stream races and MRN programming straight to your mobile device. Take MRN with you, the MRN app. Join MRN as we travel through the life of NASCAR's most popular driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes back to the Daytona International Speedway, leading the pack. I won races that I never thought I'd win. From growing up under the Earnhardt name to super speedway wins to Whiskey River, we dive into everything Dale Jr. He's brain man for NASCAR history. You know, we weren't the typical family that got to sit down to dinner together. Tune in to Junior's Journey, available on iTunes for download only on the Motor Racing Network. Looking for all the latest statistics on NASCAR drivers, races, and tracks? Go to MRN.com series pages to find driver averages, finishes best or worst at each track, and driver's average finishes. Comprehensive NASCAR driver stats online at MRN.com. Four-time NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion Ron Hornaday Jr. joins us next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. This is NASCAR Live. Here comes Hornaday, watch out. <laughs> Hornaday has absolutely got it lit up big time. Unbelievable. It's official. Kevin Harvick will win tonight the Lucas Oil 150. It's also official that Ron Hornaday has won his fourth NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Championship. Nobody has more truck titles than Ron Hornaday Jr. The second generation driver from Palmdale, California also leads the way in top five and top ten finishes. But seven-time cup champion Jimmy Johnson says stats don't tell the whole story. I moved in. They wouldn't let me move out. I stayed there for six months until Ron, on one of his Harley rides, found a, a home that he thought I could afford and seemed like a good buy, and I, I bought my first house. So they've been... Uh, been amazing to me and to many others in the sport and not just drivers I mean there are officials walking up and down pit road that have all bunked at his home um, crew members uh, from from all over the place um, Ron's contribution to our sport not only include the amazing things that on the track but so many things off the track on the track Hornaday produced some of NASCAR's most memorable moments. Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, and now Ron Hornaday, winners of five consecutive races in a row in their NASCAR careers. After breaking through for his maiden victory just a few weeks ago, Ron Hornaday scores checkers for the second time in his NASCAR Bush Series career. The winningest driver in series history takes home the win here at the Milwaukee Mile, and a big celebration ensues for the man who today turns 51 years of age. Ron Hornaday will win the Craftsman Challenge. $100,000 as Ron Hornaday has won the 100th NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race. Former Cup champion Kevin Harvick is another top driver who spent time on Hornaday's couch on the way to stardom. He says there are few who can match the impact Hornaday has on NASCAR. The guy's got four championships and came along with the start of a series and changed the complexion of a sport. Drove for one of the icons in our sport, Dale Earnhardt, and started truck series and had his own chassis shop and raced in all the regional and late model series at you know every short track across the country. And then to have him drive for me and you know the history that Ron and I have together from a personal standpoint, it's just neat to see. The Motor Racing Network salutes 2018 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Ron Hornaday Jr. Ah, four championships, 1996, 1998, 2007, 2009, 
27 poles and 50 wins. They have propelled Ron Hornaday Jr. into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and he joins us right now on NASCAR Live. Hello, Ron. How are you? And congratulations, Mr. Hall of Famer. Bag, it's been a long time since I talked to you, but uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Glad you're taking the time to uh, to join us. It has been a long time. Do you miss racing? You miss being on the racetrack or at the racetrack every week? I'm at the racetrack every week, but different different fashion. I'm, I'm trying to support the local Saturday night racetracks with uh, – building some dirt cars here and there and uh yeah you know this is kind of different uh going in there uh, you know i went to the throwback down there in darlington and god just the the friends and the people you you, you miss and the, the just you know only been out of it what two years or whatever it's been and to see everybody's faces and how much it's changed is unbelievable let's go back to the beginning uh, you're also a two-time southwest tour champion back in 92 and 93 you caught the attention of Dale Earnhardt when the when the truck series was just a concept and getting fired up. What was your thought when you first heard NASCAR was going to establish a series with nothing but pickup truck racing? <laughs> well, I was very fortunate enough that Wayne Spears, uh, I was driving his Winston West car back then, and back in the day I was building uh, Victory Circle race cars and had my Southwest Tour car, so the winter heat come along and I was running them two races already. And then the truck series started the following year and, uh, uh, he put a truck together and I, you know, since it's been on television, we got there and I think we finished second to Skinner down there. I think there was only six trucks for ex- exhibition races down there, but, uh, wow, it was pretty cool. And then I, you know, hear everybody says, Hey, Earnhardt's looking for a driver, you know, you well, put your name in a hat. And so it, it was, uh, it was definitely different. You never thought about it, but you know, when you're you've got a family and you got a auto repair business and you're building race cars, you know, got you know five or six guys depending on you and and you're you're just trying to make a living uh, of having fun racing and then uh, you know trying to put food on the table and Earnhardt calls you up and says, hey, uh, you want to drive my truck? You say, well, yeah, let's sell everything and we'll move back there. So it was pretty. It, it wasn't a big thought process. We just did it. Did you reach out to him and he called you back or did someone else? tell him you were interested and he just called you out of the blue i think he was i really don't know how that worked out or who he talked to i know benny parson had a lot to do with it and i know uh richard childress you know said hornaday you're you know they'll always look up to you and all that stuff he's looking for a driver i'll throw your name in a hat and uh the last race coming back from tucson um you know we didn't have cell phones back then and we stopped and got gas in lindy's car and uh we called the shop back and said, Hey, this guy keeps calling. He keeps saying he's Dale Earnhardt. And, you know, we had an old buddy, uh, he used to do a radio and all that stuff. And he would call on Mondays and say, Ron, this is Richard Patty. How'd you finish today? You know, so <laughs> when Dale called the shop two or three times, they kept saying, Hey, we're really busy here. And they hung up on Dale two or three times. So I said, No, no, no. So when I called the shop, I said, Did, did Dale call? And they said, Are you serious? We hung up on him two or three times. So <laughs> it was kind of funny when, when so we, didn't have his number or anything so i got there to the shop and and they come running out hey dale's on the phone he's waiting for you waiting for you tell him to hold it. wait two more seconds i gotta go to the restroom really bad we just drove eight hours i said let me go to the restroom real quick <laughs> so it, it wasn't uh very hard to, to make the decision so he he uh he said yeah i'll fly you out tomorrow and i said well i, I got one more race down in tucson and uh I can't just, you know, drop everything. He says, well, if you want to drive for me, you're going to have to. He said, I'll have you a plane ticket in the morning and, and get your guys and put that car together. And you can race next week. I'll get you back in time. And he showed up. I got a plane ticket the next morning. I was uh, at Charlotte Airport. And uh, he was waiting there with his uh, seven championship trophies and his tuxedo on after he just got done doing that Goodyear photo. That's absolutely amazing. That's the uh, Those are the humble beginnings of one Ron Hornaday Jr., in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. We've got more with Ron coming up next. Calling all admirers of the King. For Richard Petty, the STP Pontiac. We have the place for you. Celebrate the life and career of NASCAR's all-time win leader, Richard Petty. Uh, the head came about in the late 70s. From the legend behind the King's famous crown to thrills and spills that the Hall of Famer had over the years. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. It's Richard Petty's Road to Royalty, and it's available for free to download on iTunes and MRN.com right now. In racing, there is no greater feeling. There is no greater history. 
There is no greater tradition than the Daytona 500. And this February 18th, there is no greater place to be as the Great American Race celebrates its 60th running. Last year sold out, so there is no greater time than now to guarantee your seats. Join us for the history-making 60th running of the Daytona 500. Sunday, February 18th. Guarantee your seats at 1-800-PIT-SHOP or Daytona500.com. We've got more with Ron Hornaday Jr. next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We welcome you back to NASCAR Live, the Hall of Fame edition of NASCAR Live, chatting with four-time NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion Ron Hornaday Jr. We mentioned, Ron, earlier, 51 wins for you over your career, and a lot of those wins were spent battling several different drivers. And one driver that gave you fits over the years was Jack Sprague. How authentic was that rivalry, or is that something that the media or the industry conjured up over the years? It's still a rival. It's still a rival, if you don't know that. Still? <laughs> it's funny. We, we, went, oh, uh, we went up to the casino, and he wanted to go up there, and he begged us, begged us. So we finally went up there on a weekday. And we stayed the night, and he just got so mad because he was only playing for twenty bucks, and I was playing for a hundred, and I was winning, and he wasn't winning. He got a little hissy fit like he always does, and said, kicking the grass down. He said, "Man, I just can't win at nothing. You win at everything. I just can't win." So, Jack and I, we still we still have fun, but yeah, he's uh, he, back in the day. I mean, his motors were so strong when when he was with Mister Hendricks, and. And our motors weren't bad, but they were a little faster down the straightaway than ours were. So I'd always have to – he'd come over to me after one race. He goes, why do you always run into me in the corners? I said, that's the only way I can keep up. I can get you sideways in the corner. I can run with you down the straightaway. <laughs> so he was always the guy. He, he Oh, man, he took racing serious, and he's he's always had that chip on his shoulder. And, you know, Scare and I, we go out there and wreck each other, and, and we have to worry about our bosses. and. But we get all done, we could yell at each other and then go over and have a beer at the motorhome. But Jack, he, he kept it going for two or three weeks and just loved to just gouge at him and have a, have a great great time. And if you can get in Jack's head, you got him beat. But it's pretty hard to get into his head. Well, and I was going to ask you that because with, with competitors now, you say something, maybe you do something on the racetrack, and it really messes with them mentally. Did you do that a, a lot with Jack? face-to-face now it's all on facebook and all the stuff tweeting and stuff like that so i mean we, yeah we used to go over there and poke each other in the chest or give him the evil eye or you know go over there and kick the side of his truck and say i'm after you today stuff like that but yeah it's all it's all a little different game nowadays chatting with ron hornaday nascar hall of famer get ready to be inducted into the ninth class of the nascar hall of fame what is your most memorable win you ever had in the truck series there are so many it's i mean from Bristol to to everything, but I can go back to Loudon when Jack got his nickname One Whack. I think we were running 12th or 14th with seven laps to go, and we must have had five or six restarts. And you know, when the green flag drops, I got to go to the outside. And I mean, I passed a lot of trucks, and and we were junk that day. Skinner ended up blowing up. When he blew up, he he was yelling at the guy, saying, "You can't believe it! Hornaday's car is so tight." When he well. It ended up where Ernie Irvin got into me, and I hit the front straightaway wall and bit the toe real bad, so the truck got tight. So I was actually downshifting at Loud New Hampshire in the corners just to get it up off the corner because the thing would really push the front tire off it, and I didn't want to blow a tire, so I got the back end to slide a little better by downshifting. And uh, we ended up winning that race because Jack got into Rutman on the last restart on the white flag lap, and I drove around him. I actually drove underneath him and took the checkered flag, and, and I still got the side of the truck in my shop with the tire marks and everything up and down the sides. And it was probably the most memorable because that that's the year we won the championship just because of, you know, taking a 12th or 13th place truck and, and winning that race with it. What is one race that you never won that you wanted to win or one racetrack where you didn't win at that you wanted to? Well, your dream as a kid to go to Daytona, you know, your father raced, everybody raced. And then, you know, our sponsor, Palmdale Chiropractor, I, you know, back in the day, I asked him, I said, why are you spending all your money? What are you getting out of us on this touring, touring deal? Since you're Palmdale Chiropractor, nobody from Eureka is going to drive eight hours, come down and get their back cracked from you. What are you, what are you getting out of this? He said, someday, well, someday when you make it big, I said, I want two tickets to Daytona. And that, that year when Earnhardt told me I got to drive the nationwide car at, uh, Daytona, I had plane tickets and hotel rooms for Bob Fisher at Palmdale Chiropractor. So that's a guy right there back in the day that believed in my talent and all that stuff. But as a kid, you always dreamed to go to Daytona. 
And uh, a lot of people don't know it, and I don't know if it's morbid or not, but my mom and dad's half their ashes are spread around the start finish line at Daytona. That's phenomenal. I didn't know about that. I had no idea that that happened. That's that's pretty special, and they won't be the first ones. There's a lot of folks that opt to do that. Before we let you go, one one more thing I want to touch on, and this is a lady that that never got much play when you were driving, but she was she was she was your rock when you were behind the wheel of the race car, and that's your wife, Lindy. How is she doing, and how much has her support meant to you through your racing career? Well, you will find out in the Hall of Fame because this this whole hall deal is all about her. Because if it wasn't for her, it wasn't her her saving the money, taking care of the kids, doing extra jobs to make money because our toolbox got stolen, my fire suit got stolen uh, out of the back of the truck, and and her pushing me to drive and making me my, build my first race car, and and she's doing freaking wonderful i love her to death and she's my best friend and she's pushing me building these darn race cars you know so i'm building these dirt cars for billy workman and my grandson slater and she's still involved in it 120 percent. she does all the decals for him she um gosh darn she's the love of my life i, I can't tell you you know how we were at the racetrack she you know all the years i've raced and i can't i can't name how many races i've i've drove in but she's only missed six races in my whole racing career Wow, that's amazing. She is, she's one special lady, and you're one lucky man to call her yeah, your right. wife and and your best friend. There's no doubt about it. Appreciate the time, Ron. Congratulations, NASCAR Hall of Famer. We can now hang on the mantle next to those Ford Championship trophies. You have, uh, you've earned it, and you deserve it, my friend. Again, congratulations from all of us here at MRN. Well, thanks to MRN and everybody else to, to help me get there because uh, I've done some stupid things, and you made me sound good on the radio too. So I appreciate it. <laughs> anytime my friend that's ron hornaday jr coming up next we'll hear from our final 2018 hall of fame inductee the legendary ken squire the thought of winter coming can be chilling knee-deep snow face numbing winds frozen fingers temperatures below zero and yet without a duralast car battery it could be even worse that's why Duralast batteries are tested to perform in harsh conditions. So even if it's 40 below zero, your car can start up like it's 72 and sunny. Duralast, proven tough and only at AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Progressive presents Get Pumped, inspiration to help you do insurance stuff. Okay, time out. You're going to let your budget be the boss of you? Take control with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay for car insurance, and we'll help you find options that fit your budget. Here's some music to get you pumped. Da -dum -da -dum -da -dum -da -dum -dang -dang. I hear your budget laughing at you. Oh, wait, that's just those kids laughing at me. Ignore them! Da -dum -da -dum Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is NASCAR Live. Hello, I'm Ken Squire, and today here at Daytona Beach, the greatest stock car race in the world, the Daytona 500. Few men have shaped how racing is presented to fans more than Ken Squire. Born April 10, 1935 in Vermont, he started his broadcasting career at 12, working at his father's local radio station, WDEV. And at 14, he announced his first stock car race at a dirt track in Vermont. MRN announcer Dave Moody remembers growing up in Vermont, listening to Squire on the radio, calling the events of the race that night at the local track. He was like the circus ringmaster. He could convince you that uh, a four-car heat race where three cars qualified was the greatest thing in the history of motorsports, and by the time it was over, you were sure that it had been. Squire quickly became involved in broadcasting races, and in 1969, he co-founded the Motor Racing Network with Bill France Sr., who saw MRN as a promotional tool. This is the Motor Racing Network. Your host for today's broadcast is Ken Squire. Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. Pearson is still running. Bill Sr., who created the idea that NASCAR needed this because there was so much power in radio. Everybody talked television, and Bill was not senior, was not romanced very much. He didn't like that first announcer that they brought in uh, for the Daytona 500, some fellow named Cronkite from the city, and uh, he, he didn't want them back. In 1971, Squire made his television debut as a pit reporter in the first flag-to-flag -flag coverage of a NASCAR race, the Greenville 200, building on the television coverage of NASCAR. Squire was convinced that audiences would watch an entire Daytona 500. 
former MRN colleague Jack Aroot. The prevailing attitude back then was that any sort of live flag-to-flag coverage of a motorsports event would negatively affect the in-person attendance. He single-handedly convinced the France family to roll the dice and grant CBS television the opportunity to cover live and in its entirety the 1979 Daytona 500. For 20 years, NASCAR fans listened to Squire's lap-by-lap commentary on television, drawn in by his smooth voice and his colorful descriptions of the drivers he labeled common men doing uncommon things. Squire retired from the full-time broadcast booth in 1997, returning to call special races. He's remained involved in the NASCAR community, helping the NASCAR Hall of Fame to create the Squire Hall Award, honoring media members' contributions to covering the sport. If you've ever listened to a NASCAR race on the radio, you have Ken Squire to thank. If you've ever watched a NASCAR race on television, you have Ken Squire to thank. I cannot think of anyone in the media realm that deserves to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame more than Ken. The Motor Racing Network salutes 2018 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee, Ken Squire. It is an honor and a privilege to bring in our next guest. He's one of the founding fathers of Motor Racing Network from back in 1969. He put NASCAR on the map in 1979 with CBS's first live flag-to-flag coverage of the Daytona 500 and legendary broadcaster who is a current inductee into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Ken Squire is back on NASCAR Live. Hello, Ken. Welcome back. Hey. (laughs) Whoa there. (laughs) <laughs> I, that that didn't happen just exactly as you, you you termed it, but I sure had an awfully good time with a great many wonderful people uh, that were as interested and as enthusiastic as I was about the potential for growing stock car racing right from the very beginning. Back in 1969, uh, obviously Bill France Sr., and uh, you got together and uh, helped create Motor Racing Network. Tell me about that first conversation you had with Bill Sr. That went back uh, another, not 10 years, but darn close to it, and uh, it involved public address. Uh, Bill was always pretty persnickety about who he had announcing races, and that included public address, and, and uh, was, a, was a critic, but no question about it, as far as radio and television were concerned. Talk about radio and MRN back in 1969. Along came CBS's coverage of the 1979 Daytona 500. Actually, a race and a telecast that you were you were pretty big involved in selling to television executives. What was your sell? What did you tell CBS that obviously had them interested and ultimately had them air the Great American Race? Well, I got them to come look at it. And they were some fascinated with the Great American Race and what they saw and the kind of people that were involved. And they didn't know too much about drivers or owners or mechanics, but they sure as the Dickens could count on people. And they saw the enthusiasm with which those races were greeted. And they decided that there was something a bit more to this than just cars going around in circles and bumping into each other. They took off from there, and uh, we were just so fortunate, uh, all of us that were involved in, in 79. There had been other telecasts prior to that, that's for sure. But to have the, the old Tiffany network put their shoulder to the wheel in the interest of NASCAR racing was extremely, extremely gratifying. When you think back to that day, two major things took place. You obviously had the snowstorm on the East Coast that had basically uh, a quarter of America locked into their homes and glued to their televisions. And then you had the fight on the last lap between Bobby Allison, Donnie Allison, and Cale Yarborough. If one of those things doesn't happen, are we still singing the same tune we are today about that's where things really took off with this sport? Well, for sure, uh, the first part is what it was, what the day was. And uh, the second part was, was happenstance, circumstance. And we were incredibly fortunate with that CBS crew that were on their toes. The race was over, done. Petty had come across the line. He was headed for victory lane. And while that was going on, uh, there were those two cars, became three, 
uh, over off turn three that were in that altercation that uh, put Donnie Allison and Cale Yarborough as sideliners to that, that race. And what a sideline it was. Uh, they both made up laps. They rushed up through traffic. And then in those last few laps, they put in a show unto themselves that was the kind of thing that television wanted. And they couldn't believe that they'd gone through an afternoon and 500 miles later, these guys are up there side by side hammering each other. And the hammering continued after the checkered flag flew. <laughs> Chatting with NASCAR Hall of Famer, Ken Squire, before we let you go, uh, you've obviously have done a lot of things. You've had a large body of work in this sport, in this industry, um, since your beginnings back in uh, the the late '60s. Uh, as far as a formal um, involvement with Motor Racing Network, what is uh, well, what does your induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame mean to you? Well, I'm still a little floored about the whole thing. I, I'm 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 in uh, high cotton with, with with some pretty important people. And I've, I've never believed uh, from the outset that announcers in particular, or storytellers, as you will, were really a part of what a Hall of Fame would be. The Hall of Fame was, was where Fireball was, where Earnhardt is. Those people that, that gave 100%, that sacrificed their very lives, and the ones that raced with them and raced just as hard, and in developing this sport, I always thought that was was just an incredible story, time after time, be it Neil Bonnet or whomever, that you wanted to talk about the story of those people and their everyday, easygoing manner. Uh, Bobby Isaac and Ned Jarrett, those people all were, were, were stories and darn good ones. And one of the things that CBS did allow was for us to get out and create some features uh, about those people, to tell the stories of the Petty family or the Allison family, Kelly Yarborough or any of those. Uh, that was unique, and people were fascinated by it. That hasn't gone away. It has not gone away whatsoever. Appreciate you joining us. Congratulations on your induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and we'll look forward to hearing many more stories from you in the years to come. Okay, thanks much. Thank you, Ken. NASCAR Hall of Famer, Ken Squire. Many thanks to Ken, as well as Ray Ham and Ron Hornaday Jr. for joining us on this week's show. Be sure to tune in to Motor Racing Network Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, for the NASCAR Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Uptown Charlotte. That's going to put a wrap on this week's show. I'm Mike Bagley for the rest of the MRN crew. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll chat with you again next week right here on NASCAR Live. So long, everyone. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida and was brought to you by Hercules Tires. Right on our strength. Today's broadcast was produced by Rich Colbert. Remember to visit MRN.com to get all of the latest NASCAR news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Five-hour energy is energy on the go. Well, what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then five-hour energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. Five-hour energy. Energy for hunkering down.